Hi everyone and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is June 6, 2017. It wasn't but 10 months ago that we talked about Japan-Russian relations and we had on our show Dr. James Brown. Today I'm joined reluctantly by my co-conspirator Michael Chuchek. Michael, welcome back. Nice to be back. Dr. James while. Brown, thank you for joining us again. My pleasure. 10 months ago we talked about the Russian relationship with Japan, what they're doing with the Northern Territories in anticipation of the Prime Minister meeting with Mr. Putin, and he's met with him twice since then. What's the latest going on with, um, for example, the Northern Territories? Well, the really big development was, of course, the visit in December. This had been in the works for, for years, and there was a lot of pressure on the Prime Minister to try and get some sort of progress on the territorial issue. And there are really two schools of thought on the development since then. The official position is that actually there has been some signs of progress, that in particular there was an agreement on having joint economic activities mm -hmm. on the islands under a special legal system which would be neither under Russian law or Japanese law. And since then, efforts have been made to try and make that a reality. The problem, however, is that there are other signs which suggest that really that isn't moving in the direction that Prime Minister Abe wants. Mm -hmm. That we had in the past, in 1998, a similar agreement on joint economic activities. That never went anywhere. And there are concerns that despite the agreement in December, this might also not go anywhere either. Right. Didn't he go with a 12-point plan? That earlier in the year, in May, there was an eight-point economic cooperation plan. And these things are connected mm -hmm. in that the plan from the point of view of the Japanese side is to use economic cooperation to put dynamism into this relationship, to drive it forward, and in that way, encourage the Russian side to make concessions. Right, right. That doesn't seem to have worked. He has put uh, Minister Seiko kind of in charge of this, this dynamic, though, hasn't he? He's the minister of, of METI. That's right. So he now has this, this double role. Uh, combining the very important role of being METI minister with also taking the lead role on economic cooperation. The it's interesting that it's not the foreign minister, though, isn't that? It is. Yeah, and the suggestion, curious. the reading of that is that in actual fact, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is more skeptical about sure. Abe's approach. They perhaps have the greatest expertise on Russia and they know that mm -hmm. within Russia, there's still such a huge amount of opposition to making concessions on this issue. So what seems to have occurred within Japan is that actually MOFA's role has been somewhat downgraded and instead Russia policy is being pushed forward by the Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry and also by the Kante, the Prime Minister's office itself. Right. Well, that has a historical precedent in the warming of relations uh, with China where really it was MITI, what it was called at that time, which pushed the relationship and the foreign ministry was much more skeptical about approaching China, but the industrial groups like the Keidanren mm -hmm. and Miti working very hard to establish the trade relationship. Right. Well, probably at that time, too, the United States played a much larger role geopolitically, and the Japanese were just kind of tagging along, not tagging along, but following the lead of the United States. And if there's money to be made, they can probably swoop in. I think what makes this a little bit different, though, is that in the case of relations with China, that makes so much sense economically. What is a little bit dubious here is that how much economic benefit really is there for Japan in closer economic ties with Russia? Certainly there mm -hmm. is the, the hope for increased energy imports, particularly of gas, 
But given the current situation in energy markets, which are oversupplied with liquefied natural gas, there perhaps isn't even that much incentive for Russia to uh, make, uh, sorry, for Japan to import more energy from Russia. What's the dynamic between the Russians and the North Koreans? I mean, perhaps it's the fact that Putin was waiting for an opportunity to come up where he could somehow leverage his, his strengths, and it looks like the North Korean missile crisis perhaps has presented that. Well, the North Korean situation is another factor actually complicating relations between Russia and Japan. Earlier yeah. this year, there was a two plus two between Japan and Russia. Now, that's the meetings between the foreign and defense ministers on each side. And this was, again, another attempt by Japan to try and demonstrate the relations were better, to build mutual trust in the hope that that would lead to a breakthrough on the territorial issue. However, one of the issues they tried to find common ground on was North Korea. But at the 2 plus 2 meeting, it became very clear that the two sides see the North Korean situation very differently. How recently was that? So the 2 plus 2 was in March of this year. Okay, so recent. I mean, he had already been firing off rockets and that sort of thing. Absolutely. And the Russian side do agree that they are against nuclear proliferation. They don't want to see uh, North Korea having... Uh, nuclear missiles. However, they differ on the approach. Russia believes that pressurizing North Korea, holding military exercises in the Sea of Japan, actually just makes the situation worse and provokes North Korea. And so very different from the Japanese approach, which is arguing in favor of more pressure on the North Korean regime. I don't know. I, I don't think it's a really helpful sign. I mean, they're also opening uh, trade spigots as well. I mean, the Russians are, are providing North Korea with increased amounts of, of uh, petroleum, mm. and that's helping support them. Apparently, the Chinese have, have cut them off, and so... Well, the hope is that China will obviously help in order to place more pressure on North Korea, for example, by cutting off oil supplies. That, however, would be of little effect if the Russians step yeah, right. in and supply that oil instead. We shouldn't exaggerate the scale of the economic ties between Russia and North Korea. They are still really small. quite small. Okay. However, what's significant is the direction. In the first quarter of 2017, there was quite a significant increase percentage-wise in the amount of trade between Russia and North Korea. And for those countries like the United States, like Japan, that are trying to isolate North Korea, that's a worrying indication. But isn't North Korea, basically, well, all of Korea, always been in the interest of Russia and its, its involvement simply has been fluctuating. Sometimes it focuses more on the European side, and then it fl interest suddenly flows over to the Asian side. And we're just at the, in the, let's say, at the crest of a time when Asia is really important because Putin has, has basically said the Europeans are, are not worth dealing with right mm -hmm. now. Yep, that's always been the trend in, in Russian and, and indeed in, in Soviet foreign policy. The usual priority is Europe and the West, and instead, they emphasize relations with Asia when uh, there is a problem in relations with the West. And that's what we've seen certainly since 2014. Mm -hmm. You are the administrative coordinator of international affairs at Temple University. So you have a, a, a view and you're reading papers, a lot of things going on with regard to what's going on with the current affairs involving North Korea. What is your assessment now? I mean, a lot of analysts are saying that it is building up for some sort of a trigger event coming in the next three weeks or so. I'm not sure about the, the next uh, few weeks, but uh, what I do believe is that the current period is particularly worrying in that uh, the United States, President Trump, has said that it is unacceptable 
from their point of view, that North Korea will have a nuclear missile capable of reaching the United States. They are committed to preventing that from happening. And the North Korean side has said that they are within reach fairly soon of achieving that. So that makes this particular point especially dangerous. Mm -hmm. Well, it's got to really bother the North Koreans that we have a new president by the name of Trump in the White House. Michael, what do you take on this? Well, I, I think that uh, Dr. Brown is absolutely right. This is an extremely dangerous time and that the United States and Japan have been playing a very, very, uh, very provocative game. Having two U.S. aircraft carriers and uh, the Japanese's large, Japanese self-defense forces, largest ship between them, sailing mm -hmm. in the Sea of Japan, or the East Sea as the Koreans would prefer, what is that supposed to send, the, except the message that we're here and we're ready to, to do something? Or even, we're here, and how would they ever have an excuse to leave? So we're here for a long time. And that's, that, to me, uh, is, uh, of course, uh, I understand that a new administration likes to establish itself and mm -hmm. likes to, to, to uh, you know, show how broad-shouldered it is. But truly, we are at a, a crux where all kinds of things are happening. And in, in particular with Russia, that Russia may be offering a safety valve of some sort for the situation involving its new uh, ferry service in between Vladivostok and North Korea, which is a, a repurposing of North Korea's old Niigata uh, to North Wusan route that there used to exist. They've cut that off. Well, the, the Japanese side has cut it off, and now the the North Koreans have simply repurposed that boat. We need for, to use that ship. We need to use it for something, and so now it's going to Russia, mm -hmm. where I don't know what are they. Uh, it's not carrying petroleum. How is the, what is the trade in? Well, part of the reason why the Russians want to establish that trade link that transport link is to improve uh, kind of economic ties with North Korea to reduce its isolation. But another crucial factor is to do with people. There are between 30 and 40,000 North Korean workers in Russia, in particular in the far east of the country, working on uh, construction sites, but also within the timber industry. And they obviously need a way to get backwards and forwards mm -hmm. from the Russian far east. And that ferry service provides that service. What about the long term in terms of, for example, rail lines running down the, the Korean peninsula as a part of a, a broad, broader strategy of development? Yeah. What is that going? Yeah, absolutely. The Russians are interested in that as well. They obviously have a land border with North Korea. And in recent years, there have been some improvements in the rail network connecting Russia with North Korea. Now, in an ideal situation, they would like that to uh, go on and to... Um, connect with South Korea as well. And in the past, there was discussion of a Russian gas pipeline that would go through North Korea and to provide for the market of South Korea. Now, obviously, oh, due that to political like tensions, idea. that's been off the table. Sure. But their long-term hope is that a less isolated North Korea could be a sort of access point for Russia to do more trade uh, with North Korea and with South Korea. I know you're not a, a North Korean expert, but what, what is the end game here? I mean, why is the North Korean leader being so, so aggressive and so bombastic? I mean, what is his, is his play that, yes, we might get attacked and we might get bullied and beaten up, but then we'll come out as the underdog and like what the United States with, did with Japan, we'll, we'll survive from the ashes. Hmm. Well, there are always some who suggest that uh, the North Korean leader is irrational, is, is mad. 
But I think that it always makes sense to assume rationality. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can see a rational argument for his behavior. He's predominantly worried about the survival of himself and his regime. He feels deeply threatened by the United States and by South Korea. He knows that North Korea cannot win in a conflict with those powers. And so therefore he is acting in a way that he believes is the only way to ensure his survival. And how does Japan fit in all of that, if you, if you want to, to, to bring all of it together in terms of the, the quadrilateral of Russia, North Korea, China, and Japan, omitting South Korea just for a moment? Well, obviously, Japan is in a particularly kind of dangerous uh, position that uh, I mentioned that there are these concerns from the point of view of the United States that the continental U.S. could come in range. Of course, Japan is within range at the moment. If there were to be uh, a conflict tomorrow, we could expect missile strikes on Japan. And obviously, that makes uh, the Japanese government uh, particularly um, nervous about this situation and particularly determined right. to deal with North Korea. And their approach for doing that is to try and place pressure, increased sanctions, and really to try and force the North Korean regime into kind of dialing back uh, from its nuclear program. But it would only be dialing back. It would still maintain that capacity. And it strikes me as being just a, a, an issue of blackmail. We're building up this arsenal, and we can use it at any time, so you better succumb to our wishes. I don't know what those wishes might be. Maybe you reduce the tension, or you put us, you give us a, security seat, a seat on the Security Council, or something kind of ridiculous like that. But it looks like it's just a gambit to, to turn a bad situation into something that's even, mm. even more... Uh, excellent than he could have ever gotten anyway. Well, I mean, the Russian proposal on this is that North Korea is not going to uh, give up on its nuclear program. Uh, it feels that it's the only thing which protects it from potential regime change sponsored by the United States. So Russia says, we give up on that ambition, and instead what we go for is freezing the North Korean nuclear and missile programs. And in exchange for that, there would be, for example, economic assistance to North Korea, and even potentially, say, a reduction of US forces uh, in South Korea. So Russia is in favor of talking and making perhaps some sort of grand bargain. Okay. The delicate part here, though, is that both, both sides, the United States and North Korea, they're on a trigger point. Anything can set it off. And it's kind of, it's not as, as far as the United States is concerned, it's not mutual destruction. But as far as North Korea is concerned, it is that they will be, they will be destroyed. You know, with all that firepower, all the United States has to throw it at that kind of a conflict. And South Korea has, you know, a lot to lose, too. Absolutely. I mean, South Korea is in a, in a very frightening position, given that you don't need to have uh, missiles, nuclear weapons, just uh, conventional artillery right. uh, can hit Seoul. So that's a very worrying situation. If you want to be optimistic about it, um, then you can make the argument that North Korea knows very well that any attack would lead to the annihilation of uh, the North Korean regime. And knowing that, you would hope that they would show restraint. I, I, have, I have one question, completely off base and completely in a different world, but it has to do with Russo-Japanese relations. What's the image of Abe Shinzo in Russian publications, in Russian television? Because a, there's been a certain amount of criticism here in Tokyo of him being the lapdog 
of Putin, going to meet him all the time and being so enthusiastic, calling him, you know, Vladimir. Mm. Does, does, is that in any way commented upon in, in, the, Russian, in, the, in, in the Russian sources? Mm. It's a little bit mixed. On, on the one hand, there is some positive coverage of Prime Minister Abe because he's seen as an outlier within the G7, because he is so willing to have uh, a close relationship with uh, President Putin. That's obviously welcomed. At the same time, however, the Russians don't really trust Japan entirely. For them, it is enormously important that there is the security alliance between the United States and Japan. And for that reason, they are inclined to see Japan as always being somewhat as a puppet of the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. What a mishmash of geopolitical dynamics. It doesn't look like the Northern Territories is gonna be an issue that's solved in our lifetime, perhaps, but these dynamics will continue and probably play out in the near future. Please stay tuned.